So I'm bringing in 12 to 15, sometimes up to 20 different marketers to share the stage with me. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, episode 55. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. One of the best ways to forge and deepen relationships with absolutely anybody is to get them into a room with other people who are also your raving fans. So you can personally connect with them and they can connect with each other over that one common thing they've all got in common, which is how wonderful you are. Mm, so true. Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy Hello. from Response Suite. Back again. We are back once again. Dead excited to be here. We're going to be speaking to Rich Brooks in a little in a little while, but we've had a busy old week. We've had some really great conversations with Response Suite customers this week, and I've been loving this. We've had a really cool opportunity, which is, of course, the internet puts us uh, at the, the, the world at our disposal. We can mm-hmm. sell to people on all four corners of the globe, and we do. And so in the last week, we realized actually one of our new customers lives literally seven minutes away she says. And we thought, well, just come into the office and let's build it out together. Let's have your onboarding thing. We'll do it all in the office, which is super, super cool. Yeah. So massive shout out to, to Maddie for uh, coming on board with us and, and been working on, on her campaigns. Maddie's really, really interesting, actually. Yeah. So she basically has a really successful hair salon. And so now she helps other salon owners to improve their salons to make more money, to get more clients, to make the whole thing easier, to improve their cash flow, etc. What's really amazing, here's a really cool market takeaway for everybody listening, is if you can actually get literally in-person FaceTime with people who are in your market, you will learn so much. We've learned so much by spending time with with Maddie, sitting around a table, building campaigns where they're using response within those campaigns. And we've learned so much about how people want to and how people are able to use our product, ways that we never have thought of. We've come up with marketing terms and terminology and really just amazing marketing campaigns to help us promote our product better just by spending time with our customers. You also pick up on interesting things that you don't know your customers are thinking. So for example, chatting to one of our potential customers the other day, and he said, oh, well, I'll come back later because I really need to have all my products finished. I need to have all my emails done and all this stuff. I said, actually, that's not really true. You're in just as good a position if you haven't got any of that stuff set up as if you have got all that stuff set up because we, we can then just build everything perfectly around response suite rather than just slotting it into the middle. And he went, oh, Oh, well, that sounds great then. And suddenly everything makes sense. So you, you get to like hear the questions and the conversations that are going on in their heads much more. Which, which you can't, cool you can't well. do that at all across the internet. People no. are just so quick to like just close down the browser and go, that's no, that's not for me. We're about heading to the today's episode. But before we do, we're going to go into the ever popular Rob's quote of the week. Yes, because as they say, if there's no petrol in the can, there's no pigeons in the chimney. Doesn't that leave, just leave a life lesson for you? I will say it, say it again, Rob. I want to just really resonate with that one. Let it mull around in your little brain. Yes, because if there's no petrol in the can, then there's no pigeons in the chimney. It's really got me going, that. Really got I brought a tear to my eye. It did. Good. <laughs> it's one of bringing tears to people's eyes. It's one of the things that coaches are really good at is usually getting people uh, really teared up and getting excited about and really focused on what it is they're supposed to be doing in their businesses, usually by confronting some kind of problem. And we know that loads of our listeners are coaches and consultants. And if you are one of those people, if you haven't already downloaded our very, very popular perfect application form to put together the perfect application form to make sure you're speaking to more of the perfect kind of people who are most likely to get the biggest benefit from your coaching program, We've put all the science of that together, show you what questions to ask, what order to ask them in, how to boost completion rates of your application form all over exactly where. Just go to perfectapplicationform.com. Unfortunately, we don't have a free bonus for you about how to create the most tenuous link you possibly can for a podcast. But if we did, that would be great as well. If you want to get all of that amazing (laughs) stuff, 
I did, I you it, was ter- it was a shoehorn. If you want to get that amazing training on, genuinely amazing training on how to create the perfect application form, just go to perfectapplicationform.com. Nice and easy. That's it. Our guest this week, the main man, Rich Brooks, has been using lots of marketing methods to get people into a room. And the way he does that is quite interesting. Yes. He has a really good strategy, I think, for creating live events that are actually profitable and are good and enjoyable and create great value. They it kind of breaks the rules of what a lot of people do to put on live events. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I mean, just, I mean, we haven't been lucky enough to go to the events yet, uh, but, but they, I can't they wait sound to. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, let's stop talking about it. Let's hear from the man himself. It's Rich Brooks. Rich Brooks in the house. Rich, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic this morning. I've got my cup of coffee. It's morning for me. I'm only on cup two, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and bring it anyway. Wow, this is caffeine-powered then. Rich sounds as awake early in the morning as you do. Yeah, yeah, you're not a morning You person. spring into the office full of life and yeah. joy. Yeah, yeah, and you sort of mope and go, do we have to do this again? <laughs> but not today, because today we get to speak to Rich, and we're going to be talking about filling live events and running live events specifically uh, as pertains to like the email marketing side of filling live events. And this is such a big thing. So it really is. So let's take a little step back because a lot of our listeners may not have put on live events in a world where everybody likes to hide behind the computer. First of all, let's get a quick rundown. Why on earth, as a person who sells stuff on the internet mostly, would I want to run a live event and meet people in real life? Well, I think the number one thing is because it's difficult. It's difficult to do. Just like you said, so many people would like to just run their businesses behind closed doors. Nobody has to see them. And that makes life easier, especially if you're an introvert. Um, I think, in fact, the bottom line is, you know, you're running Facebook ads or you're doing SEO. You know, those are things that everybody's doing these days. It's really easy to get started doing that. Putting on a live event finding the space, bringing people in, deciding if you're going to have other speakers, selling the seats, that's a lot of work. And because it's a lot of work, your competitors are not going to be doing it. That's really interesting. So there's a a much lower competition to it. This is an interesting thing. Now, let's talk about this for a minute, because obviously one of the things that the internet gives us a huge opportunity is our ability to have a worldwide marketplace. So, you know, most people are going to have subscribers who live in, uh, you know, from Peru to somewhere, Paris, Florida. So I was trying to think of a place to begin with P. P, Florida with a silent P. uh, All over the world. And Pfeiffer, Florida. Yes. That place. No, Pfeiffer, like Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, I see. Yes, exactly. Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer Florida. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So we probably have subscribers all over the world. So in terms of coming to do one of these live events, obviously, if your email list are like global or even just national across the whole of the US or the whole of the UK or whatever, what do you start to do in terms of targeting down that event? Are you somebody who will say, well, screw it. If somebody's on my list, they might fly over from somewhere uh, to, to come and have the event. Or, or would you like try and narrow it down so you're only promoting within a certain radius? What's your take on that? Well, for me personally, my main event is called the Agents of Change Digital Marketing Conference. We're coming up on year eight, uh, and I have that as a physical event here in Portland, Maine, but we actually sell a virtual pass where people can watch the live stream or watch every single session on demand. So for me, there's no reason I wouldn't advertise that to a global audience because we have people who are in New Zealand who will wake up in the middle of the night to tune into the live stream, or maybe they sleep in, they catch uh, all the on-demand content. But in the cases where where you're not going to be investing in the live stream, I think you probably want to think about going more local anyways. And my event uh, takes place, like I said, in Portland, Maine. 
there's not a huge population here in Portland, Maine. We all share the same uh, area code, just to give you an example. Uh, so pulling in a lot of people to any one place is difficult. Mm. We bring in about 400 people. Most of those people are local. So I think you need to decide what kind of event you're planning on having in the first place. Are you planning on having an event that's going to pull people from all over the country, potentially all over the world? Or is this really targeting your ideal customers locally? And I think it always comes down to what is the point of putting on this conference? I put on this conference for a number of reasons, but one of them is obviously to generate business for my day job, which is a digital agency called Flight New Media. So I'm looking to pull in people, and most of our clients are local, within 100 miles, say. So obviously, I'm really interested in bringing those people into the fold. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to have this room full of people. We're going to get to how we get those butts on seats in a minute. But just to give an overview, what is the thing? What is the outcome you're looking for in that room? What's the? Do you make an offer? Are you looking for qualified leads because they've made the investment and now they're in the room? Or is it just to have bums on seats and that pays the bills? That you know that covers that makes a profit. Is that a profitable model, or is it you make a pitch on the stage for a high ticket program? What is the purpose for you? For me, and I'll, I can say because there are different people who might approach it differently. For me, it's always been about I would love to be able to break even or make a few bucks on this event. And then I look at it like, okay, well, we invested a huge amount of our company's time in putting on this event, but if it pays for itself, including all the worker hours, then that's great because that's just marketing. And so my goal is always to at least break even, and that comes through both sponsorships and butts and seats. And then all after that, my hope is that I have raised my profile and my company's profile to such a degree that when the next discussion at some random boardroom comes up, like we need a new website or we need SEO or we need social media marketing, they're going to have to say, let's call up Rich Brooks and Flight New Media. Or let's call up that guy who ran the conference. Like it greatly increases our chances of being part of that conversation. And, and that's really, really my goal. Yeah. I mean, you get really super famous in the niche. How lovely. What's really great about this for people listening is you can imagine kind of two sliders, if you like. And one of them is sort of the number of attendees you've got. And one of them is the price. For example, if what you're doing is a $25,000 event, you're probably not going to get as many people as if it's a $100 event or a $500 event. And so what you can probably do is say, okay, great. I want to make this an event that is $25,000 a person. And we're only going to have eight people. Or I want to make this an event that's got 400 people and it's going to be a few And that's all dollars. informed by the outcome you're looking for. I mean, here, what you're looking for is you're really looking to create authority in that marketplace. And that, you, need a, you need a certain mass of people to do that. And just, just thinking about your event, Rick, do, is this an event where it's just you speaking? So it's you creating authority for, over a few days and just people for your company? Or do you have like external speakers come in there? So great question. And uh, when I actually teach people, teach business people how to put on their own events who aren't event planners, I often talk about three things you guys have already mentioned, which is speakers, sponsors, and seats. So for me, on this particular event, I do put on smaller events where it's just me. But for this particular event, um, it's actually a full day conference with three keynotes. I do make myself a keynote, but then I get two people who are actually bigger deals than me yeah. because then it looks like I'm as big a deal as them. So I get three keynotes. So this year I have a woman named Dana Malstaff, whose who's brand is Boss Mom. I've got Mark Schaefer, a really well-known uh, marketer here in the States. And those are my two keynotes. And then me too. So I slide in in between them. And then the rest of the day is four different sessions of three breakouts each. So I'm bringing in 12 to 15, sometimes up to 20 different marketers to share the stage with me. 
Nice. Okay. That's right. And do you do that because it attracts more people from your sphere of influence or do you use and leverage the speakers for the seats element as well? So they're going to maybe attract people themselves through say, Hey, I'm going to be speaking at this event. I have discovered the hard way that there are very few speakers who actually bring in an audience. Right. We have some like my friend, John Lee Dumas has spoken a number of years, the entrepreneur on fire. Mm-hmm. He has Fire Nation. He'll promote it on his show and members of Fire Nation will come out just to see him. So they're, especially for the bigger names, they will pull some people. Um, but because it's a one day event, although we're actually introducing a day of workshops before now, so it's kind of a two day event if you want it to be. Um, so I don't rely on the speakers. I incentivize them, but I don't rely on the speakers to fill seats. I just want people to think about when they think about the agents of change, that this is some of the best experts in the country or in the world coming to Portland, Maine, and Rich has been the curator of this experience. So I'm okay sharing the stage with people who are definitely smarter than me in certain aspects. That's awesome. And we, uh, we had JLD on our podcast back on episode 40 as well, just yeah, a few what episodes a top, ago. Um, one of the questions that this brings me on to, I think, chatting about this kind of where does the audience come from thing is... Would you say, obviously, so you've said that there aren't that many speakers who, with the exception of people like JLD, who can bring in their own audience. Would you say that when you market your event, most of those people, most of the people who attend, the delegates, the attendees are from your email list? Or are they from like other marketing you do? In other words, are they coming to the event cold or are they on your list from some other piece of marketing and then they buy into the event? Would you, would you say? I think that probably two thirds of the people are on our list or on one of our lists. And we, we use email marketing in a lot of ways. And um, truth be told, I have seen a slight decline over the years of the effectiveness of email marketing in particular to this event, which uh, kind of scares me a little bit because it was always our number one way and still is our number one way of getting butts and seats. There's no two ways about it that email marketing still reigns supreme in terms of filling those seats for us. When I send out an email newsletter, uh, that's promoting the event. And I send that both to my flight new media list, as well as to my agents of change list. Um, we almost always sell tickets, but there is a, the more often I send that email telling them about the conference, there's definitely a uh, lesser return as time goes on. I think so that's, that's something I have to deal with. I think that's something really to take note from that for people listening to this. And I just want to pull out what you said there, um, because I think there are a lot of people who say, okay, great. I'm an expert in this thing. I know some other experts in this thing. I'm going to put on an event and it's going to build my business. And they start with that and then really struggle to sell tickets and they work really hard and they spend a fortune in advertising. And a lot of the time, the acquisition cost to get a bum in a seat is more expensive, like dramatically more expensive than the ticket price. They end up losing their shirt and it doesn't go very well. Okay. They have an event somehow. They end up giving away tickets to fill the seats. We've all heard these stories, I think. And I think there's something really powerful there, which is to say, do you know what? Either start with smaller events and grow over time or focus on building your audience and engaging them. And so you have that marketable audience to drive to your event. And that's a great point because I would actually say that the number one piece of advice I'd give somebody who's just getting started is to start small. Nothing wrong with a 12-person event held at the local chamber of commerce, maybe that you're even putting on for free, maybe even to supply the bacon and the the bagels or whatever it is that you got for breakfast, the bangers. And the bottom line is you just, you put that on because you're bringing the right people into that room. I've gotten up to 400 people, but it didn't start at 400 people. And I know there are conferences that are 10 times that, um, but the bottom line is 400 is a good number for our, our goals. 
and and you're, and you're and you're sort of geographic as well. And just before we go into this next bit, are the people who are you are advertising this event to have they are they usually buyers of products already? Are you usually moving people from being almost cold and haven't put their hand in their pocket yet to the event? In terms of like getting people who are coming to it or getting people to sell tickets on my behalf, I'm not clear. Okay, yeah. So get the people who actually buy tickets and come into the room. Are they people who have already purchased something from you before? Are they already? I would say two thirds of the people have had some sort of touch with me and they're being alerted either by uh, our AOC email list, our flight new media list, or we use Eventbrite for ticketing. And that has a really robust platform as well. And we get a lot of repeat customers, either from previous Agents of Change or some of the other events that we also use Eventbrite for ticketing. And then the other third, it's like Facebook ads, or um, I actually have partnered with a number of local business organizations in town where I'll give them a free ticket for like their executive director if they send out an email to their audience on my behalf. That's interesting. That's really cool. Because that gets me in front of somebody who's never heard of me before. Absolutely tapping into somebody else's audience and just spreading the word. I love that. I love that. We're going to get right back to this. But first, we're going to play our first game of this episode. We come up with a a really customized individual game for each of our guests. And this episode, we thought it would be really fun to play Witch Rich. (laughs) <laughs> and that's the name of this. That's the name of this game. It's called Witch Rich. And basically, what's going to happen is uh, Rob is going to try and describe a whole bunch of different famous rich or Richards or people with derivative names of Richard. Now, some of these are a bit shoehorned, and there's a couple of curveballs. So we're going to put one minute on the timer, and because oh. that's how long it takes to heat up my lunch. And then, in the meantime, we're going to play the game. So, are you are you ready, Rich? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, let's get the timer on the screen and let's play Witch Witch Rich. Rich. Uh, So this is the CEO, I think, of uh, the Virgin Corporation. Richard Branson. Yes. Uh, This uh, is uh, one of the main characters in the Mary Poppins film. Uh, Well, he played this character anyway. He played Bert in the Mary Poppins. Richard Burton? Ah, no, we'll come back to it. Uh, A very controversial British comedian who hosts the Golden Globes, uh, offends lots and lots of people. He also wrote and starred in the English version of The Office. Uh, Move on. uh, Richard Givens. Ah, close. Close. Uh, Okay, this is... um, Ricky Gervais. Yes, it was. There we go. Um, This is an English uh, actor, filmmaker, entrepreneur, politician. Um, It was in Jurassic Park. Yes. Yeah, I have no idea. We'll okay. come back to it. It's the 37th president of the USA. Richard Nixon. Yes. Um, well, the King of England and the Lord of Ireland from 1483. King Richard. Yes. yes. The Lionhearted. Yeah. Uh, one of the presenters on what was Top Gear. Uh, Amazon have now got their version of it. Pass. I don't know that one. Uh, Richard Hammond. Richard that Hammond. One. That was pretty good. You tried to get Dick Van Dyke. From yes. Mary Poppins. You're trying to get that one. Oh, no. yeah. yeah it was a curveball because we were going for the Richard, but we. How um, many was it? I was too busy. Uh, I think uh, we just can't. We didn't get Dick Van Dyke. That's okay. Richard Branson, you got. Gervais, you got. At, Richard Attenborough from the, the actor who was in the Jurassic Park I movies. I he was in that. Yeah. yeah. Richard Nixon, you did get. Ri- King Richard Third, we gave you anyway. Um, and Hammond, you didn't quite get. We also no, could have had Richard Gear. Uh, Richard E. Grant, Ricky. Uh, we went for Ricky Martin as well and Richard Wagner. We had a few Richards. We did. It took a while to find the Richards, but <laughs> yes. we did eventually find them. Yes. Richard uh, is a tra- name that has fallen out of fashion, I've discovered. But that's okay. 
Yeah, but the most important Richard is here, right on the call, Rich Brooks. Yes, so event-based stuff. Okay, let's take a look at the funnel. So everyone's talking about funnel, but let's—I mean, let's just look at the steps, the steps, the stages to getting those bums on the seats. So what is the sort of overview of how many stages there are and what that sort of looks like? And I guess the other part of that is what's the sort of lead time over this this road? Let's go with that first, Rob. That's a much better question, actually, at this point. You're welcome. Yeah, you know, please go sometimes. And uh, so I suppose my instinct, and please correct me, is that... When you first put your event on sale, you should do a whole bunch of marketing because you've got that new announcement. Woohoo! Awesome. And you put a bit of marketing dollar and time into that. And then you sort of calm it down for a bit. And then it's the ramp up to the event that's exciting and the time's running out and you've got urgency. And then you do another whole bunch of marketing. How accurate is that? Is that wildly inaccurate? No, no, no. That's a pretty good way of looking at it. So what we've done in the past is basically started selling tickets on March. I'm sorry, on May 1st. The event is in September. This year it's on September 20th. Okay. So that gives us, you know, um, four or five months. Feels like a good amount of time. And so what we do is we actually, we've started selling tickets for the next year at that previous year's conference. So we give people what we call the best deal that they're going to get. So if they buy the tickets that day, um, and sometimes we extend to Monday, then they'll get a ticket. And then we take the tickets offline. Um, And basically we start reselling them on May 1st. And so there's obviously, people don't want to buy tickets five months in advance. This is what I've learned. So obviously this is where early bird tickets come in to play. So you announce it and you say, we, we have early bird tickets available. They're only good until X. So that gives people an incentive to buy those tickets at a lower price. One thing I've realized is that the people who buy early bird tickets to a conference that's only announced maybe 20% of their speakers are the people who would go no matter what the price was. So we limit the number of early bird tickets now. Now this may not, you may not do this year one, but as you start to build up your conference, and people start becoming addicted to your conference, then you start to need to limit the number of early bird tickets you sell. So I think ours is like either 50 or 100, I forget right now. The other thing that you want to do is, you're right, momentum goes downhill, especially right after the price goes up. So what we usually do is every month we increase the price right up to the point, and then it's like a week before the price goes up. So we have that sense of urgency, like buy tickets, you know, before the end of June, otherwise prices are going to go up another 50 bucks, or this is your last, you only got three days left to save $150 on the tickets, whatever it may be. So we basically, if you can almost imagine an awning, um, we just, you know, those little things underneath, we basically just, you know, try and ramp up, um, up the interest at the, at the, beginning or the end of each month. And so we see a surge of tickets right around uh, the 30th, 31st of each month. That's interesting. And at which point do you release the availability of the virtual tickets? Do you do that from the get-go? From the get-go. We don't really worry about cannibalizing sales because there is such a huge benefit of actually being at the conference. So we let those tickets go at the same time. And we also have uh, same kind of thing. We have discounted tickets for people who want to um, only attend the virtual show. I think that's great because I've seen a lot of people run it. I've seen some people run events where they get to a point where the event's sold out and they wait until it's sold out and then they start releasing the virtual tickets. But I think it's, it feels brave to do it, but I think it's a great piece of advice. I've never done it this way, but I think it's a great piece of advice. I've never done virtual tickets. Um, I think it's a great piece of advice to do it that way. In terms of the recordings of that event, obviously it's going to be streamed live, so you're going to have cameras and mics and all that stuff in place. Do you record the event and sell the recordings, make them available to the delegates? Or how do you do that? 
So a few, this is an interesting thing about psychology. So what we used to do is we would have a physical ticket, a virtual ticket and a bundle ticket, which was only $25 more. And so that way you could go back and watch all the sessions you missed, right? Brilliant. And we do a really good recording in, in the main hall. We've got like a two camera crew. It looks like a TEDx con- uh, conference. Yeah. And then in the other workshops, we still have a camera that's manned and, you know, it's not quite as dynamic, but it's still good. And then when we do the videos, my team does an amazing job of like stitching in the slides into the presentations, all that sort of stuff. Um, so what we would do at the conference is we'd announce like, listen, if you only bought the physical ticket, but you missed out on something you want to see or you want to see it again, it's only $25 you can upgrade. We got people complaining that I would be charging $25 extra for this. I'm like, no other conference is doing this at all. And you're complaining about 25 extra dollars. So after a couple of years of complaints like that, I just raised the price on everything $25. And I said, this year, you get the, you get the virtual pass for free if you buy the physical ticket. And everybody right. was excited. That's so literally, funny. I made more money and got more happiness out of the people in the audience because they didn't feel nickel and dimed. Huh. That's absolutely incredible. It's very, very it's very, very cool. What do you do in terms of like the time between your events? Is it like annually and at the same time every year? Like what, how yeah, much? Is so that, that's exactly what we do is we just made it an annual event because it really is our biggest project of the year. Uh, just about in terms of man hours, um, because we had, we had looked at, and we used to actually use a, uh, a consultant to help us a little bit, but we ended up doing all the work ourselves. So we just took it in house and saved that money. So I have my project manager who runs most of our web design projects. And she is the one who sends out the contracts and negotiates with the hall and, um, and does all these other barter things that we do as well. So she's really running the conference and I'm more the figurehead who gets to go up on stage and look like I know what I'm doing. That's amazing. I mean, what a great way of getting people. I mean, it's not just the price of the ticket they're paying to really qualify themselves, but the fact they're willing to get up in the morning, leave their home and say, I'm going to spend an entire day with you. The amount of psychological commitment and physical commitment they're making to doing that really puts them streets ahead of of, of everybody else. One question. I just want to throw this in here before we play our next game. Kennedy, you run like a one day event typically, Mm -hmm. and I tend to do two day events and and then a lot, of, a lot of our pals in, across the pond over in the in the Americas, they seem to do like four, five, six, 15, 22, 35 million day events. How, how long is too long? Like, Rich, how, how long is your event? Well, that's an interesting question because so as we we're talking before, I live in Maine. Uh, I didn't grow up here. And Maine has this real Yankee mentality, which is basically means if I'm not at work, then I'm not working. So when I started putting on this event, a lot of people told me, it's like, that's too long. Like I can't give up a whole day because I need to be working. And I'm like, no, it's, you got to sharpen the saw. You got to take time away from work so you can get better at work. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be learning anything. It's the on the business in the business, isn't it? Exactly. And so it's unfortunate that mentality that a lot of people have around here where it's like they really feel like they need to be working and not just learning, even though in the long run, the learning piece is crucial. Um, So for me, I couldn't get people even excited about anything that was longer than one day. But at the same time, the few, the, the small percentage of people who came from away we're always like, this is great, but I want more. And so that's when we started rolling out uh, an optional day of workshops. So if you want to attend a two-day event, you can with one day of in-depth three-hour workshops and then the next day of the typical conference. And this year, we're actually even introducing a brand new thing where me and one of the keynotes are going to put on a very intimate mastermind the day following the event as a will We'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's getting more and more popular. This is cool. I've got a million questions I want to ask, but we must play the second game of the episode. 
Here's how it works. Uh, my colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, Rich, but he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub or club singer. That means that some of the words will be somewhat confused and disguised. And your job, Rich, and dear listeners at home, is simply to guess what song Kennedy sings. Is it American Pie? Yes! <laughs> He's a champion! Kennedy's obviously getting better at this because we're getting more and more winners. <laughs> we're getting, I need to make it that's good. Well done. I think it's only because I make up most of the words when I'm singing that song with my kids anyway. Like the rest of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> the what each other who are? I mean, you'd have been screwed if you tried to do the uh, verse. I mean, if I'd done the verse, we would have been knackered. <laughs> We'd be absolutely knackered. All right, I want to talk about content. I want to talk about the content of these events. Do you have like a theme for each event or is it very much like each speaker has their own bag their own thing, their own thing that you self-contained. Or do you it, it, for us? Kind of- yeah, for us, we don't really have a theme. We don't even have tracks. Last year, I did have one track, which was a local track, and it was only because we had three or four speakers that were all touching on local. Somebody was doing local SEO. Another one was how to market your business on uh, your local business with no money down. Somebody else was doing geofencing, and I just pulled in somebody. Oh, and I pulled in a few friends of mine who ran businesses to talk about like how they market their local business. Um, So, you know, like generally though, no, it's like I curate based on the fact that I want to have a couple of keynotes. We're going to have some big picture ideas and then uh, we kind of get into the nitty gritty. Somebody's going to talk on email marketing. Somebody's going to talk on uh, Facebook ads. Somebody's going to talk on Pinterest, whatever I think the hot topics are. And then now that I've been doing it, you know, seven, eight years, we try and find some topics that might be a little bit uh, out of the ordinary. Like last year, we did one on how to start selling on Amazon, which was an important topic, but a little bit outside of what we might have been doing in years one through three. Really interesting. Now, what's the key with pitching at your events? Do you prefer to say, okay, great, this is a no pitch event and we'll do some stuff in follow up afterwards once we've built some relationships at the event? Is it a case that you might pitch, but the speakers aren't allowed? Is it allowed that everyone's allowed to pitch? How do you, how do you build pitching? into this. We're in no pitch zone. We're all educational. And I tell the speakers, you know, if you've got some, like you can't be selling from stage. Absolutely not. Um, However, you know, the bottom line is if you've got some value add, like I've got a checklist and if you'd like the checklist, you know, give me your business card afterwards, or you can get it on my website at mywebsite.com slash AOC. That's all fine. So if, you know, it's like that kind of subtle Getting people onto your list, I'm totally game with, I understand, because we don't pay our speakers, which is a dirty little secret. So um, I usually convince people to come because I'm going to put them up, I'm going to give them some visibility, we're going to promote them, I take them out for lobster dinner, which many of them have never been to Maine. Maine is like this mystical place for a lot of Americans. Either they haven't been there since childhood or they've never been and they always want to go. And so... You know, and, and the thing is, like, a lot of them also put on events where, for them, I would show up and not charge anything. So it's it's kind of a little bit of you scratch my back sort of a thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only reason I've heard of Maine is because that's where Jessica, Jessica, is she called Jessica Fletcher? Jessica, Jess, Jessica. Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. That's where she was from in... Um, in the old murder she wrote. That's where she was from. That's only well, it's Stephen King. Almost every Stephen King novel outside of uh, The Stand and The Shining take place in, in Maine. 
Really? You've got some scary clowns. We should have done facts about Maine's for the game. Wow. Facts about Maine. Uh, I, I wasn't born in Maine, so I'm glad we stuck with the whole witch rich thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rich, it's time to jump over into what we lovingly refer to as the quickfire round. Hey, hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. Rich, what would be a book you'd recommend? Uh, based on our conversation today, one I'd recommend is Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, one of my favorite books on marketing and just uh, mindset. Mm, classic. Next, uh, what would you say is one of your top success habits, something that you do weekly or, re- or, da- or daily or regularly? Um, even though I'm in the digital world, I have a notepad and every day I rip off the top sheet uh, and I just write a clean list of to-dos. I either do that at the end of the day or first thing in the morning and it just kind of helps me prioritize what really needs to get done that day. Okay. Who do you look up to then? I know this is like tried and trite perhaps, but my parents, uh, my dad has still working, you know, in his late seventies speaks all over the world. Uh, you know, and, and he was actually, I, I'm on TV locally talking about tech things. He was on TV talking about psychology back in the day. Uh, and my mom who used to have a fear of, uh, being in, pu- not being in public, but speaking in public. And she really overcame that and started, uh, going to temple and doing the prayers in front of everybody and even got bat mitzvahed at like 68 years old. So, uh, both of those people really impressed me. Wow. Very cool. What, what are your favorite apps that you think are super cool right now? You know, honestly, every week when they, when Apple tells me how many hours I'm spending on my screen, I don't really worry about it because everywhere I drive, I have ways running. Like it just has saved me so many times from like, you know, like there'll be an accident and it'll reroute me and all of a sudden I'll save half an hour of my life. So I would say my number one app right now is Waze. I've never even heard of it. Really? Maybe it's a U.S. thing, but it it got bought out by Google, but it was just, it's been one of the most fascinating apps in terms of saving me time because we drive everywhere in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same here. So, okay. Really big, important question. Who do you like more, Redhead Rob or Platinum Kennedy? So... Those are my only choices then. They are the only choices. Colin's laughing in the corner of our office. Yeah, you can't have Colin. Um, because Kennedy's voice is so melodic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 51% to him. So I'll, I'll go with Kennedy. It's a beautiful answer. Finally, Rich, most importantly, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, well, if they're interested in the conference and learning more about that, head on over to theagentsofchange.com. Uh, if they're in the need for a website or other marketing, they can check out takeflight, F-L-Y-T-E.com. And if they want to just reach out to me, I'm most active on Twitter and LinkedIn. And my handle is the Rich Brooks everywhere on social media. Thank you so much. Of course, links to all of that stuff in the show notes, which we'll link you up to at the end of the episode too. Thank you so much, Rich. This has been like, I could talk to you for hours on this stuff, uh, but we'll leave it there for today and hopefully use that as a really good excuse to have you back sometime later. I would love it. Isn't it amazing when people are in that room, you build up rapport, they see you in real life. They now know that you're not just a two-dimensional face on a video screen or just words being bombarded at them through an email or even on social media or whatever. And you build that level of rapport. And of course, it makes perfect sense that people are going to want to buy more stuff from you because they're not just buying the education, but they're buying that idea of spending more time with you, which it's easy to think, oh, I'm not that charismatic. People don't want to spend time with you. They really do. Like the fact they came in that room in the first place and they spent that amount of time, even if it was just an hour, 
then that tells you they want to spend time with you. But to spend more time with you, they'll, they'll invest more. And I think there's a really key lesson in that episode as well about building an audience of people and then running a live event for those people to come to. I think a lot of people, they try and run live events really, really cold and they don't really have the, like the first thing to enter into a market is, I, I don't know how to do, I'll hold an event and then something that's really hard to do. And I think taking Rich's experience of how you can build an audience and then sell them an event and then use that audience to leverage bigger events is, is really, really cool. Now, if you've missed anything in this- Because there was a lot in there. I yeah. mean, Rich is an absolute animal. You can tell he's really doing it. Then don't worry because uh, we put all of the show notes notes together for you so you don't miss out on a thing just head over to blog.responsesuite.com forward slash zero five five that's the win that's the win that's the win that's the one i can't even speak oh win boy oh win boy there you go that's the one and of course if you haven't already do let us know that you've if you're a new listener to the podcast we want to know that you're a new listener we're going to give you a shout out to all new listeners let us know or by leaving a comment on one of the podcast platforms, wherever you listen to this right now, leave a comment and we're going to do a big celebration of all new listeners over the coming weeks as well. That's it for this week. We'll be back in your lug holes next week. Bye. Don't miss a thing. Miss a thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.